Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch, and Eric Steven has a Cody Bellinger pace update. Hello. Uh, yeah, so uh, our good friend, uh, Cody Bellinger, um, he is he homered on Sunday. He actually had three home runs last week. He went a little, uh, had a little streak where he wasn't hitting home runs, so he kind of fell off his earlier uh, pace, but he's... Um, uh, he has 17 on the season. He's, I think he's one behind Christian Yelich uh, for the lead. But he's on pace as of now uh, for 57 home runs and 149 RBIs. So good for Bellinger. And uh, he's actually still hitting uh, He's hitting 405 still. <laughs> so, and his on-base percentage is 485. Uh, it's still like nearing 500, which is ridiculous for being this late in the season. But, uh, yeah, having quite the season still. Have you done any like look back in history on how long since you know Ted Williams era a hitter has either hit 400 or on base for 480 or whatever? Yeah, so there. Uh, I this is this really difficult to do in the play index, I think. But um, I, I was looking up. Um, uh, I saw a tweet. I, I want to say it was like over the weekend at some point, and I think it was. I think it said the last player to hit 400 this many games deep into the season was Manny Ramirez in like 2001. That sounds right. So like, yeah. So I think I'll look it up at some point. But um, so yeah, it's 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 rare. Like you know, to be this 400 this late. Like um, I remember, I want to say I have to, I'd have to look this up too. I think John Olerud. I think he hit 363 when he was really young with the Blue Jays, and. Um, at some point, like late in, like I want to say June or July, he was at 400. So I think that was like the last. I know Tony Gwynn hit 394, but he was like he did not. He wasn't over 400. Like he was like he got to 400, but at some point in April, and I think or maybe it was uh, early May or late April that he he fell under 400 and he was he was playing catch up the rest of the way. But um, still, that's um, it's it's ridiculous to hit 400. Basically, is what the point is. 
This is a pretty lighthearted podcast, but we do have a very serious matter to talk about this week. Julio Urias was arrested for domestic battery last Monday. The, since then, the Dodgers and Major League Baseball have placed him on administrative leave, but early reports suggest there are multiple eyewitnesses and video evidence. So it's looking like this occurred, and if that's the case, I think I can speak for the both of us when I say I never want to see him pitch for the Dodgers again. Yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, like we, we watch sports uh, and it's like a, you know, it's a diversion from like real life and we, we root for players and teams and something like this happens and it really like is, it's, I don't want to like um, dismiss like the gravity of it, but it's just, it's a bummer. Not not that, it, that that's the main thing of this, but from a fan standpoint, it sucks. Like it's not, there's nothing good out of it because um, of, you know, a player that, you know, people root for like now has, um, uh, has either, you know, has done this or is in the situation, but the worst of all that, like there's a victim here, obviously, and that, that person should be thought of like first and foremost. And it's, it's bad that this uh, domestic violence ever happens. And, um, just, just to clarify though. So here, I guess the MLB now has a, a domestic violence policy where like, you don't need to be like, um, it's not like, it's not a court of law, right? It's, it's, you don't need to be like convicted, but if there's like enough evidence, uh, that they, they have rights to like suspend you, uh, they collectively bargain with the players association. The Dodgers are actually not really involved in this. Um, so in so much that, um, it's MLB like conducting the investigation. Obviously there's like, uh, Urias was, this was last week. Uh, so Monday night, I guess. Uh, he was arrested. He spent the night in jail and then was released on $20,000 bond. Um, and it sounds, I mean, I don't know what's going to come of this, like from a, from a criminal standpoint, but it, you know, the reports seem to say that the, the woman he was with didn't uh, like was, you know, didn't really, I didn't want to press press, but there's a video involved. So it could have been, um, you know, if that ever comes out, I'm sure that's where the, the sort of the tide will turn if there's any support for Urias and it's it's a bad video. We've seen this with the NFL in situations where uh, it's very violent and obviously that's not that it's, it, you, you shouldn't need a video to sort of, um, uh, to you know, form an opinion, but just it's just a terrible situation all around. Um, we don't really know, but as of, as of now, so the, the procedural thing from the Dodger standpoint is that uh, MLB placed Urias on administrative leave. So like, as of now, he's like still getting paid, but he's not on the roster anymore. Um, it's basically this, it's similar to like the restricted list where you're just like, you're just suspended. You're not really suspended, but you're just, you're just in the, um, in like purgatory almost sort of waiting for the investigation to happen. Um, the policy has been in place, I think like four years, I want to say, um, with MLB, I, I did some looking back. The most high-profile current case is Addison Russell with the Cubs. Um, he ended up getting uh, 40 games from MLB, and it, it uh, bled into this season. Um, uh, Roberto Osuna was through a more of a criminal process. Um, he got 75 games, um, and then, but you know. It, who knows what's going to come of this, but I think at a minimum we could see like Stephen Wright last year got into an altercation with his wife uh, or maybe his girlfriend. I don't remember. Jury is familiar. Similarly in 2017, they both got 15 games. Um, so I think at a minimum, that's what Urias is looking at. Um, but what you mentioned too about Urias, you know, not maybe not pitching for the Dodgers, the Dodgers, Mark Walter, especially has been like outspoken against this. Cause you know, um, when the Roberto Osuna thing happened, he got traded to the Astros and like his first game back, um, after his suspension was at Dodger stadium. So there was a lot of questions going around and I, you know, Walter was like, uh, very adamant, like we don't accept that here. It's a zero tolerance. And, but like, you know, the Astros had a weird thing where they were like, Hey, we're zero tolerance, but you know, but we traded for Osuna. So it's, they're really, they're trying to, well, we're going to make sure he doesn't do anything again and that kind of thing. But so it's not really zero tolerance. So you wonder if it's lip service when it, you, you know, you, you know, it only have, you only see what happens when it happens to your team. Right. So we'll see if he backs up those words, depending on what the evidence is. And the Dodgers but, have sort yeah. of ran into this once when the deal for Chapman ha um, was in place, the news came out and then the deal didn't happen. Now, obviously yeah. that's not, it, that's a slightly different situation because they didn't have to do anything. They just had to not do something. 
and this isn't a situation where regardless of how many games suspended, if they f find just cause to suspend him really for anything, <laughs> if you can get punished for domestic violence, I really don't want you pitching on the Dodgers, period. Right, right. So now they the have thing. to do something and lose value in the team. And I, I really, really, really hope the Dodgers do that because it just puts an asterisk on me enjoying this the whole team for the rest of the year. And that, as you put it, sucks. Right. And, and for, from like, just, and I don't want to sound cold at all in this, but like, just looking at it from the team standpoint, like Urias, right. He has, um, um, I should have had this in front of me, something, you know, at least what, four more years after 2019 of like, um, and until he's a free agent. Um, yeah, he, he had just over a year, a year and 123 days. So he, he's going to be in the two year range, uh, of service time at the end of the season. Um, and so that means he has four more years until free agency. So if you decide, if you're like taking a principled stand and you're like, I'm not going to have any, any, um, you know, domestic violence abusers on the team and you just, you just flat out release him or trade him or whatever. Like if you trade him, I mean, this again, not wanting to sound cold, like you're trying to get something back, but are you really taking a stand? You're just dumping him. But if you release him, that's, you're like, look, with zero tolerance, but then also you don't get anything for it. So, um, this is a very, very high wire difficult situation um and so on one hand too like um the um you know this is it's terrible domestic violence is terrible and there the punishment whatever like criminally uh from mlb standpoint there should be consequences for this so like and they should be harsh enough to where it's discouraged from ne ever ever happening again um so, like, I'm fine with, like, you know, whatever, like, punishment MLB wants to dole out. And it, it honestly probably could be harsher. The only um, thing, there was an article a few years ago on Baseball Prospectus. Rachel McDaniel, I believe, wrote it. I'll link it in the show notes. But very good, well-reasoned piece where how um, basically the um, these league policies, NFL, MLB, et cetera, they don't focus on um, the victim, right? So, like, so when you, you when you ban a player, like uh, I think it was one of the uh, punter on the Giants, I think Josh Brown, uh, he was he was basically let go. And but then the point was like his wife, who was like the victim in this case, was there was fear that um, now he's lost his livelihood. It's going to make him like angrier. And like it doesn't, um, it's not it's not a good situation. It's, it's it puts her in more danger. Um, in some cases, there's, there's a very good article. I don't want to like just summarize it just from memory here, but um, the point is like I think the victim, it, the victims in domestic violence cases aren't really thought of as much, and we're uh, everyone's obviously thinking about Julio Urias as a as a baseball player, as a pitcher. But if he is someone who sort of did this and there has to be consequences and now we just kind of have to wait like um i don't know how long it's going to take the investigation uh, i would imagine within the next few weeks we'll probably know um but um yeah this is i, I if if i had to guess like i don't know if urius is ever going to pitch for the dodgers again he might but um because it's one of those things where you, it's easy to take a principled stand when you don't have to make a choice um but now the dodgers do do have that choice so um yeah it's um we'll see how it goes i really really hope they make the right one yep now i guess we have to talk about other baseball much much less serious stuff uh but i good good baseball things uh hinge and ryu is out of his mind this season so far <laughs> he's all right um so the weird thing about the the like five game week now the Dodgers had uh, five a two off day week last week and another one this week so they only played five games um, so that meant Hyunjin Ryu and, and most of the staff they got like extra rest um, so he Ryu pitched last Sunday and then he didn't pitch again till Sunday so like um, it was and he just kept doing what he's been doing he pitched seven more scoreless innings against the Reds um, he's up to 31 straight uh, scoreless innings um, He's at he's done to one, a 152 ERA on the season. He did walk another batter, so I don't know if we really should be praising him that much. But uh, he's he's doing ridiculously well. So um, it's it's been like 
really amazing to see. Like we, we talked about this, like his comeback to me, like in 2017, after missing like basically two years, he had one start in 2016, but his comeback in 2017 was so good that like, uh, and he was just like an average starter. He, he was left off the postseason roster that year, but for him to even do that was, was good to see because it was like, all right, cool. You're, you've overcome the surgery. But like, since then he's been this like lights out, obviously he missed like three months with a groin injury last year. He missed about 10 days what this ha- year. What was that groin injury? Yeah. <laughs> his groin was torn off the bone. Like <laughs> We joked about this. Was That was like a rookie of the year injury. He has like a super groin now. Right, yeah. He just lets no, him well, pitch like know. a See, superstar. So, yeah, are you saying, yeah. So he has amazing leg power. I see what you're saying. Um, uh, but it's it's ridiculous. Uh, he has the best ERA in baseball since the beginning of last year, 178. Now, like I said, he's missed you know a lot of time, so it's it's just take what you can get. But if they're gonna, I'm sure, like you know, somewhat manage his innings. They just want him as long as he's healthy for October. Then they're they have to be happy with having him start like game one or two of a series. So that's that's really good. Arguably not the best start last week, uh, Kenta Maeda. What like we were worried if he was going to keep doing this good start bad start good start bad start thing, and with his first two good starts in a row, it was phenomenal. Yeah, he had a very interesting game on Wednesday against Padres. Uh, he he pitched into the seventh. He didn't give up a run. Uh, the Dodgers had a streak where uh, they had like five shutouts in nine games. Um, they almost had a sixth in eleven games on Sunday, and it was. It was an eight nothing game until the ninth, and then Yimmy Garcia gave up three runs, so uh, ruined that little moment. But yeah, Maeda was awesome. But he struck out twelve. His, his career high is thirteen. Um, and but the the cool part about this for me was like uh, uh, he also drove in both runs with a single. Uh, uh, the Dodgers won two to nothing. So like uh, I looked up, there's like five five games ever uh, in Dodger history where. It, uh, pitcher has struck out at least 12 and driven in two. Uh, and so the, and the last one, wait, can you guess who the last, I, did you see my tweet? Can you guess who I, the last one is? Uh, um, I don't think I saw your tweet. I don't think I can guess. Uh, it was Brad Penny in 2007. <laughs> Let's see. See, if you were, if you had just said the last one was Kershaw, I was like, okay, I'm just going to guess Kershaw. The fact right. that you asked me, I'm like, oh no, it's some bizarre name. I'm never going to guess. <laughs> I had a Brad Penny jersey, though. I should have guessed Brad Penny. Oh, man. That's crazy. Um, I remember Brad Penny. Like, he turned out to be, like, kind of a dick. Like, Yeah. (laughs) uh, I I think Ned Clady wrote in his book that he basically quit on the team, I think, in 07. forgot what. Maybe it was 07 or 08. But, um, yeah, he was was bad. But um, when when the Dodgers traded for him in the the, just deal that was hated at the time, the LaDuca to the Marlins deal, because the Dodgers didn't have like a, an ace basically starting pitcher and Penny sort of gave him that, but and then he got hurt. But I remember his first game that that trade was so hated that we, um, my family had a, like a family reunion that, around that time. And um, we went to a Dodgers pirates game, I believe. Um, and it was Penny's first start as a Dodger. And he went like eight scoreless and gave up two hits and he was getting booed. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> cause he wasn't Paul LaDuca. Like they dare traded franchise icon Paul Duca. that what a dumb time it was to be a Dodger fan at that time it was, it was very weird <laughs> but uh but yeah so the three the three other people and Penny struck out 14 in that game by the way um the three other people uh with the 12k and two RBI games were all Hall of Famers um Koufax did it in 65 Drysdale of course uh did it in 64 and Dazzy Vance in 1925 Dazzy Vance had the the sort of the, the most fun game of that. He actually pitched 10 innings because why not? And uh, he, he struck out 17 and drove in three. <laughs> so hell of a game for Dazzy Vance. <laughs> so this podcast is going to turn off to me listing dodging, Dodger starting pitchers and you talking about how great they are. Uh, Rich Hill. Yeah, he was all right. Um, no. Uh, so, okay, before the Maeda game Wednesday, uh, the Dodgers had played, I think, 44 games and they had one uh, double-digit striker game. It was Hyunjin Ryu because he's been the best so far. Uh, that was in April, I think. Um, but then uh, in the span of two games, Maeda struck out 12. And then Rich Hill, who's also been sort of like, uh, you know, a mixture of off and on. He's only started four games now. But he, he was awesome Friday night in Cincinnati. He went six scoreless, struck out 10. I think he gave up two singles. 
Um, and so they were, they're like on fire. So he, he's, it was just sort of a part of a sort of a great week and part of a great month, almost great season for Dodgers starting pitching. They just keep getting better and better. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's Rich Hill, like, you know, uh, had a good game. So it was good to see another funny Rich Hill moment. Um, this morning, uh, a bunch of people were tweeting out it's the 13th anniversary of the infamous, um, Michael Barrett, AJ Pruszynski, Cubs White Sox brawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Pruszynski, uh, one of the more hated uh, teammates ever. Um, I know a lot of teammates love him, but he was very divisive. Uh, but anyway, uh, they got into a collision at home plate, and then Barrett got up and slugged Pruszynski in the face, and it started this massive brawl. But um, little known to me, and as I was watching the video, uh, Rich Hill was the pitcher on the mound who, on that play, and he he like reached over and got the ball like because he was behind home plate covering. Uh, but yeah, that was 13 years ago. Rich Hill was 26 at the time. So weird. In the first, and I mentioned this last week, over the first few weeks of the season, we were a little worried about the rotation. And then uh, Kershaw came back from injury. Hill came back from injury. And that sort of, even oddly enough, even though those aren't the pitchers we're talking about this week, that re- did help really stabilize everything. How good is this rotation so far? I think you have maybe some stats for me. Yeah, I did some looking up. So it, it is, you're right. Like basically like getting Kershaw back first, that was like the first like stabilizer. But they, they had that nightmare week where where you jinxed them by going to a game in St. Louis. And uh, they got swept <laughs> in St. Louis and then they went home and lost the first two to Milwaukee. So they lost like six straight. And uh, th- this was after their eight and two starts. So they were, they went from eight and two to eight and eight, like in a heartbeat. And um, they were, you know, kind of reeling. And the starting pitching that week was terrible. Like it was, I forgot the exact numbers, but it was something like, uh, I think I want to say like 25 innings, 25 runs or something like that. Crazy from the start. That was the week where you got hurt. Um, he, he left a game in the second inning because of his groin injury. He ended up only missing like 10 games. But um, that, so, but that Sunday when they snapped the winning streak or snapped the losing streak, uh, Ross Stripling, he, he went like eight strong innings. And, and, um, that, and then Kershaw was back the next day. So that sort of set the ball in motion. Um, so since that, um, that, that six-game losing streak, Dodgers starting pitching has a 241 ERA, and they're averaging – a tick under six innings of starts, 5.95, um, which is very, very good as a team. But And the Dodgers are 23-9 and nine since then, so it gives you an idea of how, how sort of good they've been. But I was, I was looking at this this morning. Um, you know, in baseball reference, if you go to the team page and you go down to the pitching, it separates like starters and relievers and then extra guys that they don't really know how to classify. Mm-hmm. But there's basically been like um, Urias is down there in the, in the other because he started and relieved. But um, – there's seven basically starters. Caleb Ferguson spot started a bullpen game, so that doesn't really count. But if you look at the seven starters, like Ryu is 152, and every every other person who started has an ERA in the threes. So like, just if you just glance at that, like first glance, like you could tell that's like an awesome staff, right? Like as a team, there's no like real weak spot um, necessarily, and like Walker Bueller at 383 is the worst. <laughs> so like. That gives you an idea how good like the Dodgers pitching has been like because he he's been better of late um, and he's 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 probably going to be lower than that I'm sure um, over the course of the season so the fact that he's been the worst like that you could live with that like any day of the week um, but just I'll give you some more numbers um, so on the season uh, Dodgers starting pitching second in ERA in in baseball two ninety nine fourth in FIP three fifty six. Um, second in walk rate, they've only walked 5.8%. Um, I don't think, uh, the, the Dodgers at the moment, um, have more, uh, their, their rate is like almost first, I think it's like first or second in both, but, um, they, they walked, uh, more as batters than any other team and they walked, uh, fewer as pitchers than any other team. So they're like dominating on both and ends that, of that. And That's, that spells this Dodger team over the last four or five years for sure. Yeah. And exactly now it's, it's just like to the extreme, like they like vanilla ice. They're um, <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 just getting the best of both worlds in that case. So they're really commanding the strike zone on both sides. But um, they they're like I think they're seventh in strikeout rate. But if you go, Fangraphs has a um, instead of strikeout to walk ratio, it's it's walk rate minus. I mean strikeout rate minus walk rate gives you a better idea of like the dominance a little bit. 
Um, and they're third in that. Um, so very good. They're actually first in the league in innings pitch per start. I would not have expected that. Like just given how aggressive like Dave Roberts is and use, they, they always have an eight man bullpen, usually sometimes nine. And, um, they are very aggressive in going to the bullpen. And like, so the fact that they're like getting innings from their starters, they're five point, it's 5.77 gives you an idea of how the league has sort of evolved over the last few years where teams are using bullpens more and more. But I, I saw this yesterday and I was stunned by it. Um, so um, if you look at the, the, the MLB leaders, like from an individual standpoint in innings per start, because I just wanted to see where were you, because he was he was like 6.5 or something in my head i was looking this up um ryu is second in baseball uh he's averaged 6.59 innings per start you know a few years as, as early as a few years ago the leaders in this are always like seven and above kershaw for the most part averaged like seven plus innings for like a good like four or five year run you know basically he was in that range mm-hmm. um but like now uh, first in MLB, Clayton Kershaw, 6.61. He's only made six starts, but like uh, the baseball reference, like leaderboard, there it, it has a minimum of five starts. But that I was shocked at that that they're like one and two in baseball in innings per start. Like there's a bunch of guys that write at like 6.5, so it's a, it's really bunched up. But the fact that they're like averaging more innings than anyone else that shows you how we've talked about this too. Like it, the bullpen has struggled a lot at times. But like them going more innings than any other team, like give, it takes the load off the bullpen. Like they only played five games last week. No, no reliever pitched more than twice. So like they're rested. They're they're going to be more effective when they're rested. So it's it's been like a sort of a multiplier effect. The other thing, I know a couple podcasts ago, I, I had sort of a defense of quality starts, just not as like the greatest stat in the world, but it has a nice little uh, a quick show of like. Um, you know, pitcher did his job to keep the team in the game, even at a minimum, if it's like six innings and three runs. Um, the Dodgers are second in quality starts, 25. It's just like 52% of their games. The league average is 38%. So, again, not not the end-all, be-all stat, but they're better than average at their starting pitchers, giving them a chance to win. And I think that's been, that's been helping them quite a bit. We mentioned the weird five-game week, both last week and this week. It also lets the Dodgers, who are infamous at this point for sort of their uh, creative roster use to to make a few uh, creative roster uses. Uh, Kenta Maeda is uh, on the USA DL in your notes, but IL. Uh, should we be concerned about this injury? I, I, I saw the news and I immediately thought it was contusion, a knee contusion. So, yeah, I uh, it's a, a left adductor contusion. Uh-huh. Um, so that... I mean, I tweeted something. I tweeted a joke about this. Like, I, I looked up on De- WebMD and it said <laughs> that the definition was need only four starters next week. And, and then I and I and I had a picture attached to it, and it was just the Dodgers' schedule, which showed four off days. Um, and that's all this is. Like, uh, Maeda was asked about it like, when they hit the road, and he's like, "Oh," because everyone was like, I think Bill Plunkett was like, "Does this does this hurt more or worse than when you went on the DL last year with your?" And I think he used like air quotes or whatever, whatever injury it was. And he's like, no fake, you know, and then like they kind of played it off, you know. Um, But like this is clearly a we have all these off days. You're we're going to do this to everybody. Maybe not Kershaw, but like um, you're going to get your you're going to get your rest at some point. So it was weird that it happened right after like a really great start. But like I understand it. Like they did that to him a couple years ago when um he went like eight and two thirds or something. And like everyone knew, I remember that being there cause that was a home game and everyone knew like that night that they were going to, he was going to probably hit the DL. And I think he was asked about it in the, in the post game. And the look on his face was like, what? Like, like not, not that it wasn't so blatant that it was like, well, you're clearly going on the DL, but it was more like, um, I forgot how it was asked, but I just remember his face being like, Oh, okay. And then like, uh, he didn't register or something. And then he was on the DL the next day. And then, um, it was, it was so obvious. And I think this is another case of that, but like, um, so he is eligible to start as early as next Sunday. I would imagine it's either that or the Monday, the Memorial day, he's going to be activated like within a minimum of time. So I don't, this is nothing to worry about. Um, in my opinion, um, 
but yeah, so I think he'll be back uh, immediately. Could you talk to a little bit about the corresponding moves that the Dodgers were allowed to make by, uh, among other things, putting Maeda on the IL? Oh yeah, so the this sort of this this sort of weird off day maneuver or you know off time with off days, um, it gives them now it's just because they only have the four starters active, they still have the eight man bullpen, but now it gives them like a full bench. Um, and we talked about last week where um, Rocky Gale was up, and we're like, why? You know, like because it didn't. Are you really going to go Rocky Gale to pinch hit? Like, um, but then so he he was basically. Um, Matt Beatty was called up uh, for the weekend series in Cincinnati and like he could have been up as early as Wednesday but then the, the Dodgers like didn't they called him up it was basically one game later than he could have been because he was he had to be down in the minors for 10 days so that was sort of as expected but then they also they added Kyle, Kyle Garlic um, he got a pitch hitting appearance on uh, Sunday he, he flew out but um, so it gives them now like a, an a, a full bench for probably another week because they have another five uh, five game schedule this week with two more off days. So, like I said, Maeda at the earliest will be up Sunday, um, but I would imagine Garlic gets the call to go back down when that happens. But Sunday or Monday, it's probably going to happen with this. So they'll have a full bench for another week. But you're right. Um, in the notes, I did put DL because that's force of habit. Um, injured list, I have no problem remembering or saying other than disabled list, you know, mm-hmm. but for some reason in my, the shorthand in my, I can't say I, yeah. like I, <laughs> I don't know why, like it doesn't make any sense. Like it just, I just can't do it. It's weird. We have a, we're going to swap things up. We're going to do the rewind first and then questions. But I, speaking of roster moves, I guess I know you wanted to talk about a very old friend, Edwin Jackson. Yeah. So Edwin Jackson, long time, old friend, I guess, uh, he, he made his debut with the Dodgers in 03. Um, and, uh, you know, was famously sort of traded to, uh, Andrew Friedman and the Rays, um, in a few of those deals where the, let's say the Dodgers came a bit on the short end. Um, but, uh, Edwin Jackson sort of bounced around over the years. He got, he was on a minor league deal with the A's, uh, this year. And then he, uh, about, uh, uh, what, two weeks ago, uh, or I guess, no, uh, maybe a little over a week ago, he got traded to the Blue Jays and and with the, the expectation that he was going to join their major league team. So that set a major league record because Edwin Jackson is now pitched for 14 teams. Um, Octavio Dotel had the old record, 13. They Jackson and Dotel were teammates on the 2011 Cardinals both were trading deadline uh, acquisitions, so they helped them win the World Series that year. Uh, I wrote a little bit about Jackson for SB Nation last week, but I just I'm I'm always amazed at these guys who pitch like for everyone, you know. And mm-hmm. the fact that Edwin Jackson is like he if he just goes to one more team, he'll have literally pitched for half the league, which is ridiculous because there's 30 teams. Um, but he's and the the funny thing too, like so the, each of the last five years now. Uh, he, in 2014, he pitched with the Cubs, mostly in relief, and he was there for the entire season. That's rare for him now because each of the last five years, he's pitched for two franchises every year. So, like, he, he always he, – he'll get dealt at some point. And you've got to figure with the Blue Jays, like, they're not in it. Like, if he if he is anything – he was actually really good for the A's last year. Um, if he shows anything, I would imagine he's probably going to get traded uh, again at the trade deadline. So, we could have a 15th team uh, – um, then again, odds are a team that gets him, he's yeah. probably pitched for them before. Yep. <laughs> so that, that's that's the real issue here. Um, but and he's uh, he's pitched in 35 different ballparks, which is amazing. Again, there are 30 teams. Um, uh, so yeah, I just thought it was cool um, that he set a major league record. I, I hope he continues. He's only 35. Like he doesn't turn 36 till December. So I I hope he pitches for like 10 more teams and he pitches you know pitches as long as he wants. But that's great. Um, but yeah, uh, another thing I just wanted to bring up um, earlier, I had the person wrong. I was going off the top of my head. I apologize for that. Um, the article about domestic violence um, was from Diana Moskowitz from Deadspin. Uh, in, I think I was, I don't know what I was thinking uh, about Rachel McDaniel, baseball perspective. She had something different over the weekend. It was not related to this. So I apologize for the mix up, but I will link this in the, in the show notes. Um, so yeah. Well, I've got a bunch of questions, but I think you wanted to do the rewind first. Yeah. 
Um, so I actually, uh, this week is a little more, this is what I was hoping Dodger, you want to be just try to ins- get inspired by stuff that's happening over the week. Um, and, and like, because Ryu was doing so well, uh, and then the Edwin Jackson thing ties us all together. Um, Bob Miller is this week's, um, Dodgers rewind. He pitched for, uh, an Edwin Jackson, like 10 teams in his 17 year career from uh, 1957 to 1974. He, uh, he was with the Dodgers from 63 to 67 for five years. He actually pitched for three teams that went to the World Series and two that won it. He did not pitch in um, uh, the 63 World Series, but he pitched some mop-up duty and relief in 65, 66. Uh, he was a starter um in like 1963, but like sort of a swing man, he would start some and relieve some. And that was the days when they really only had four starters, but he was fourth on the team in starts. He started 24 games. So it was like, it was Drysdale, Koufax, and um, and Johnny Padres, and then Bob Miller. Um, but then the rest of the time, he was basically a reliever. And um, five years, four of those years, he had sub three ERA. He was really effective. Uh, he pitched in 74 games in 1964. It doesn't sound like a lot now, but that was an NL record at the time. Um, but uh, sort of the reason that uh, I, I brought him up, he's, I was, Ryu is at a 31-inning scoreless streak right now. And I was looking up Dodgers sort of scoreless streaks, and there's I think it was the 12th to hit, um, to hit at least 30 uh, with the L.A. Dodgers. Don Newcomb had a a 39 inning and a 31 inning back in Brooklyn. I don't know all the Brooklyn streaks, but I know those two. Uh, but yeah, so, but Bob Miller was the sort of other name that came up. There's a lot, you know, Oral Hershiser, Kershaw, Zach Grinke, um, Don Drysdale, all the, all the ones you would think would have scoreless streaks. And I was like, who's Bob Miller? He had a 31 inning streak in um, uh, 1964 that year that he was, he um, had his sort of best year. Uh, it, w- it was over a span of 16 games. It's weird to have a, I don't, reliever streaks don't get a lot of fanfare because they're, you know, they're and less heralded, you know, like they're, it's not like a starter and someone's really like building toward it and you're only like an inning or two at a time. Um, but yeah, so, but it, it was good. 31 innings. Uh, it was actually, uh, the way streaks work for the most part, if, uh, if someone scores in an inning, like it's not a scoreless inning. So like if you get two outs, you don't get credit for the two thirds. He actually got to like 31 and two thirds before giving up a run in that 32nd inning or whatever. But um, yeah, so uh, he was later traded to um, the twins with Johnny Roseboro and Ron Paranowski, two more famous Dodgers. And um, uh, the Dodgers got Mudcat Grant and Zolio Versailles. So that, that was kind of a big deal. That was the end of 1967. Um, but the, the, this was the funniest thing I thought. So they the Dodgers got him from the Mets in a trade. Um, at, at, so the Mets had were an expansion team in 62. The Dodgers traded for him um, at the end of 1962, like in the offseason. So um, the, I was looking up his um, baseball reference, like bullpen wiki has like a sort of a mini biography of him. It's, it's pretty short. But I'm just going to read this to you verbatim. Um, uh, one of four major league players with the name Bob Miller. He roomed with another Bob Miller while with the Mets in 1962. He was nicknamed Righty at the time to distinguish him from the left-handed Bob Miller. <laughs> Ironically, he bore a striking facial resemblance to another Bob Miller who pitched for the Phillies. <laughs> so I love the fact that all these Bob Millers are roaming around. This is like in our generation's Bobby Joneses, I guess, um, who were teammates at one point on the Mets. But um, – yeah, so that's that's Bob Miller. Uh, he was also the first uh, pitching coach in Blue Jays history, nineteen seventy-seven to seventy-nine. So, pretty uh, pretty nice little career he carved out. Seventeen years. That's pretty good. So that's that's this week's Dodgers Rewind. I've got six questions for you, not from Craig, and five questions for you from Craig. You ready? Ooh, that's a lot so of questions. It's a marathon. We're gonna go. You ready? Yeah. Okay. I have three questions from Sissy Tran. I'm going to save one to the end because it is not baseball related. First off, what are the main talking points regarding changes to the non-waiver deadline? This happened over the offseason. Uh, agreed. So it's way less weird, right? Yeah. Um, so they, they streamlined it a little bit. 
this is what some of the changes are going through next season. Some are uh, this season. One of the ones that they're this season was a trade deadline. Basically, what they did was eliminate the August 31st um, deal. So now there's only one trade deadline, um, July 31st. Um, and that's the non-waiver trade deadline. It's the normal trade deadline that everyone watches um, where you could trade anyone. You don't have to go through trade waivers. Any Anything after July 31st, players have to be placed on waivers before you could trade them. Now you cannot trade anyone after July 31st, so that's going to be some some getting used to, but you could still put players on waivers and a play, players can get claimed and things like that. Um, but that's going to be interesting to see how this happens. Maybe they're trying to drum up more interest, uh, get like all the trades out of the way in July 31st. The last few years we've seen big trades in August, like Justin Verlander was the immediate one that comes to mind um, um, in 2017. Uh, I don't remember what happened that year. You have to refresh me. Uh, but, uh, like, yeah, I don't understand why that's a big trade. The Dodgers got Chase Elliott in August. Uh, they uh, they got Magic Merlin Anderson uh, in nineteen two thousand six in August. Um, uh, there's another so yeah. fairly big August trade. Uh, the obviously the big trade with Boston. Oh right, yeah, that's right. Only the biggest trade in MLB history. <laughs> um, it's like where the Dodgers took on like two hundred seventy million. I just remember like the... following that trade on the car and going, "There's no way they can pull this off in August." <laughs> Right, one of these guys kind of get claimed. Yeah, the, the the day that the news broke of that the, and the, the chronology of it was amazing. Uh, also, um, Greg Maddox they got in August one of the years I believe. Uh, maybe that's not right. Anyway, he might have been like one maybe, one maybe year was a one. like a thirty first and July thirty first and one was in August. Maybe the second one. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically the difference. So. From a functional standpoint, well, there's not going to be any trades after in August now, so that's a huge thing. But um, yeah, I that's that's basically it. That, that's that's like the only change. Next question, relatedly, respective to where the season is at right now, what move or moves would you like to see the front office make this summer? Hmm. So I just looked it up. The 2008 trade was in August. They got him from the Padres. So. Um, the I think well we talked about how like Dodgers starting pitching is really good. Um, it, I don't know when AJ Pollock's coming back, but I would imagine, and I'm I know we'll get to that in a later question. But um, the I would think the Dodgers might need like another bench player. Like they picked up David Freeze last year, that kind of a thing. When AJ Pollock gets back, it makes it more tricky. Um, but I think. It's it's something they might look into, but the the main thing I think obviously is going to be reliever um, relief help in some form. I'm sure that's what they're going to target, um, and it could be as as and that might not even be a trade because uh, the draft is coming up June 3rd to the 5th, and then after that there's no qualifying offer penalty because you know you um, if it if like there's free agents out there. One's Dallas Keuchel, who's a starter, but not for the Dodgers' interest. It's probably more likely that, like Craig Kimbrell, I don't know how likely they are to sign him, but just, that's just throwing it out as an option. But he's a free agent, and signing him would not cost a draft pick at that point if you wait till after the draft. So that could be an option, or just you know uh, another reliever of some sort. I, I would imagine that has to be their target, and um, just I don't know if they're gonna. They have to get a left-handed reliever. Maybe Tony Singrani coming back soon will help that. Um, uh, Alexander, they seem to have, use him more as a loogie now these days. Um, he's really pitched these short um, stints most of the season. So maybe they try to get a, a, a better lefty at some point, but who knows. But I, it has to be a reliever for me, one or two. Uh, that, that's going to be their target, I think. Yeah, and it could even be a thing where we just see them trade for one or two earlier in the season and see how that works out uh or earlier before the deadline sort of early yeah July. like they, they they sort of incrementally add like they added dylan floro earlier last year and it, he was um, um mixed around a little bit and uh yeah so i, I think you're right i think uh, it won't ne- doesn't have to necessarily be at july 31st but yeah to, for them to i think bullpen is where they have to upgrade next question is from michael mendoza Will the Dodgers make an attempt to land Max Scherzer if the Nationals put him on the trading block? 
I, I have to say, I was so taken aback by this question because I, I never it never entered my mind. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I guess sure. Like, if if the Nationals were like, hey, you know, we're, we want to trade Max Scherzer, <laughs> then who's not going to like listen to that, right? Like, um, but because the Nationals are terrible this year, they've like um, disappointed yet again. I don't think the Nationals are at a point where they would trade him, though. He still has two years left on his contract. Um, it's pretty heavily backloaded, so that could be a problem. Uh, from a salary cap standpoint, it's it's still like uh, thirty million a year, but I think he's earning like I think forty five the next two years, which is crazy. So that's probably a um, enough of a, a I don't know, it's it's probably enough of a impediment that it'll make trading for him difficult. But uh, so yeah, and also I just don't know if the Nationals would trade him like now because like I think I'm sure they still want to. They think they can contend if not this year then at least next next year and year after that and having him atop the rotation is a main way to do that so uh i don't see them trading him and then the salary makes it a little more difficult for him to be traded so uh very unlikely in my opinion at the adam bomb from twitter any potential trade targets the dodgers are looking at other than max serger obviously i'm looking at amir garrett and bringing back howie kendrick yeah, I mean, I think it's too early at this point for rumors. Like, I don't, I'm not like plugging in, like, specific player house. rumors. Yeah, yeah, and so I haven't really seen much in terms of who they're targeting. I can tell you that I don't think the way Howie Kendrick's tenure in Los Angeles ended uh, would lead itself to him coming back. Um, he wasn't necessarily the biggest proponent of him not getting enough getting playing time, even though he had a really bad year at the plate in his last year, and and they still. He still qualified for the batting title, if I'm not mistaken. Or he, he played enough to where it was like you really can't complain about it, given how he played. Um, and but he was willing. That said, he was a willing teammate, playing out of position. He played in left field a lot after basically playing only second base for the most part. Um, so I just don't see that as likely. But um, in terms of the other stuff, like it's probably relief base. So that's who they're looking for. Jason Martinez wants to know what happens in center field when Pollock returns. Are we headed for another platoon situation? I mean, I mean, look, it's the the play will sort of dictate that. I know Dave Roberts earlier in the season when Pollock was struggling, and um, he said, "Look, we're he has a track record. We're not going to like platoon him." So Alex Verdugo keeps playing well. Um, so he's probably going to earn more playing time. It, I guess it just depends. Like, depends when Paul comes back. But it I think he's what still the team looks up. like. Like then, this is one of those questions that we get right. a lot of times in spring training, where magically things work themselves out. There's an injury somewhere else in the the, the starting eight that means that because so many of the Dodgers pieces are movable, you just slightly shift things around, and oh, you're not platooning anymore. I think too, like you're right. Like last year, the Dodgers were um, struggling to the point where they were like in a fight for the division, right? They they had to like do something. That's when they started platooning because the player they they gave the players a lot of rope, uh, Bellinger included, and like uh, a lot, and they just weren't producing against like their own hand. And they went out and got David Freeze. Um, they got Brian Dozier. Dozier didn't really work out, but he still um, they were aggressive in doing that and. It worked. They hit lefties a lot better the last two months of the year. And again, they, they needed a playoff to win the division. So they were in a fight for their playoff lives um, last year. If they're, if, if like in a couple weeks, um, they're, they're like still humming and playing well and Paula comes back, they could probably ease them back in a little bit. So maybe it's more likely to, to get a platoon at that situation, but they're, I don't think they're going to force it. Um, but if push came to shove and it's like Pollock's not hitting, um, and they're not going to keep running it out there every day if they have like a, a productive Verdugo and they, uh, sitting there. So uh, I think the, like the play will determine that. But uh, at the moment, I, I, if, I had to, if I had to guess, Pollock's going to lo- get a little bit more rope. But then if push came to shove and they absolutely had to, uh, if they're in a fight or something, that they would probably lean more toward platooning in that case. And Sissy is back wanting to know what is your and my favorite dim sum dish? Do you want to go first on this? This is I have, a I have slam dunk um, bow, pork bow. Pork okay. Buns. Is that, yeah, that's, yeah, I was going to say, so that, that was one. I have actually have two. 
and that's one of my two uh, uh, pork buns. And then also Xiao Mai, which is basically just like a pork and shrimp dumpling or, you know, some variation of that. Um, but yeah, there's so much good stuff at Dim Sum. Like, I'll, I will pretty much try anything. Uh, I tried pork blood once in college. I did not like it at all. So I will not do that anymore. <laughs> but other than that, for, I'll try just about anything. Uh, but I love dim sum. It's good. A very timely question, as my wife had dim sum for the first time in her life yesterday. My wife. ABC um, Cafe in Kansas City. I didn't go. Uh, I was I was busy elsewhere. Uh, but she is a bigger fan of Chinese food than I am. So I was very glad that she got to have that really, really magical experience that is dim sum. I take it, we talked a little bit about this before, but did she enjoy it? She had a good she time? She did, yeah. She, uh, her and her friends are already plotting uh, their return trip. And I, I'll i probably go for that one. I think I'll try to make sure I'm less busy uh, when that happens. That's awesome. So next up, we have, as we tend to end these episodes, uh, with questions from Craig. You ready for the first one? Sure. At 31 and 17... The Dodgers are on a 500, well, 500, that'd be really good, a 105 win pace. Only the 1962, 1974, and 2017 Dodgers have won 100 or more games. Simply, will this be the fourth, and how do you compare this team with the 2017 edition so far? I actually was going to talk about this a little bit uh, earlier in the episode. This, we they had the... Uh, Outside of this really hot start, this is starting to feel like that 2017 team where it's just like win a series, win a series, rely on really good home run hitting pitch um, hitting and really good starting pitching and sort of mask a little bit of the bullpen issues going on. Uh, so I, I think it will. I think this is so far, I think it's looking a little bit better than the 2017 team, especially knowing that we have trade we have trades still left to make and early on in this season yeah and like that that 2017 run was so crazy like because they were so good for like that run they obviously had the losing streak in september but they still won 104 games even with that that's how crazy they were but like like literally sports illustrated was so carried away with how how like crazy dominant the dodgers were that they were they they even they had the cover that said best team ever question mark like Turns out no, but uh, like that that team was nuts. Like uh, that said, like this is this team is loaded. Like like they have depth. Um, they like last year they led the National League in runs scored and and led led the National League in run, fewest runs allowed. Like they're they're close to that this year, but I think like they're just generally they have a potential to be better. Like I. I think they could be better than 2017, but I, I do think they're good enough to win 100 games. Like, like right now, Craig mentioned the pace they're ahead of that. It's hard to keep that pace up for the year. You could uh, any sort of one losing streak, and you're, you're kind of toast. But um, they're good enough. Uh, I think they're going to win. Like my, before the season, I was thinking high 90s in their per win total, but they're they're certainly good enough to win 100 games, and it would not surprise me at all if they do. Will Kyle Garlick or Matt Beattie be the next player to hit a home run for the Dodgers? I'll give one of you those two and anyone else on the current 25 master who has not hit a home run. And for the other person, you can get anyone else in the organization not currently on the 25-man roster. Who will you pick? Oh, God. Um, and if it was so, someone not in the organization, it is a draw. So the next person to hit a home run for the Dodgers, like a, a new home a new home run hitter, um, uh, let's think here. I'm. It's like odds are, it would probably be one of Beatty or Garlic, but I'm gonna go off the reservation and say, I'm gonna go Will Smith. Yeah, he stole my answer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll take I'll take Beatty. It's fine. Yeah, I can uh, see that. That that's fine. Uh, but I, I, Will Smith was going to be my sleeper pick, so you stole it from me. I'm happy. Assuming they, you know. It, but that would be the end of the Rocky Gale era of the Dodgers, presumably. Pretty much. Yeah, hopefully, I mean, for the. Hopefully, Barnes and Martin yeah. don't both get hurt and we have right. the Smith Gale. It, it would take, like, a, a Barnes injury, I think, mm -hmm. most likely to, to get. Um, 
to get Smith up. It, it, a Martin injury could do it because we saw last time where they, they sort of were forced to play Barnes a ton with Gale as the backup, but maybe they're more inclined to bring Smith up and go give Barnes a little bit more of a breather. Um, but yeah, who knows? Well, I'm excited for it to be Howie Kendrick anyways. So <laughs> Exactly right. Is it hard to pick flaws in this Dodger team? It, it is hard to pick to- flaws in this Dodger team, but at some point, do you put Taylor in at second against right-handed pitching and see how that goes, considering that it looks like Hernandez is not able to hit right-handed pitching this season? Yeah, he struggled. He, he did better against than the normal last year. Um, this year, he's been really struggling um, at times. That you know, He's still like just generally productive, but it's not to the point where he should start every day, I think. So that I have has to be a consideration. The splits up against right-handed this season. He's uh, 175, 236, 351. So yeah, no it's PS not good. Like, um, so he's kind of rolling off of his early home runs, like just overall. His, his OPS plus on the year is 87 at this point total. So yeah, and like I don't know if Taylor's necessarily the option there, like the but maybe that's a way to get Taylor more um, of a run. But Taylor hasn't like exactly excited either. Uh, so maybe that's a situation where it lets them get a little more creative in the outfield and maybe use um, either Freeze at first base or Matt Beatty at first base and Muncie at second, as bad defensively as that might be. Um, uh, you maybe live with that if the offense is still lacking. So uh, I don't know. Uh, that's it's something to look at. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if they're there yet, but we'll we'll see um i do think it warrants like some experimentation here where um if if kiki still doesn't hit then you you sort of uh you know see what you got there and, and maneuver some guys around and small sample size noting but uh chris taylor even worse against right hand in pitching for instance right and that's going to sure. come up actually in the next question should Corey seager be graded on a curve this year he's coming back from two surgeries and he did not play much in spring training at some point, do the Dodgers look to platoon him a bit against left-handed pitching? And I think we we hinted at this last question. The Dodgers' infield depth isn't actually, you know, middle infield especially, isn't that good. So yeah. who else do you put there other than the guy that's proven to be a really, really good hitter, as mentioned, coming off two surgeries? So I don't think that's the case. Maybe they look, maybe if they think more rest is a, a solution to try and get him going, then sure, maybe you'll see sort of a mini platoon, um, but a, a full-fledged platoon, um, I don't see it. I don't see that until – it'll be like a Bellinger situation last year. Until It would take until like August. Like if he's still not hitting them you know, after the All-Star break or whatever, then they consider it. But he's going to get a lot of rope, and he think, I think he's earned it. Um, but yeah, I, it's been I, a, I do, it's been a It struggle. does make me wonder if a sort of utility middle infield player is another potential trade target at the deadline. Yeah, certainly. Uh, someone who could play up the middle. Like, we, we, you know, Kike and Chris Taylor can both play short, but then it's still, it's like, who plays second? Um, you know so who yeah, plays that's... second base? Hmm. Howard Kendrick. Wait a minute. <laughs> Ready for the last question? Sure. It's happy hour time. You and I are at Applebee's or something. Where are, mm-hmm. we, where are, we, where are we at? App? Like, say we're in the middle. No, say we have to do a chain restaurant. This is my okay. question, not Greg's. Uh, where do you to... and I go to happy hour? Say we're in where... Phoenix, Arizona, where there is no small business. Oh, that's a um, lie. I've been to plenty of good that's ones. That's true, but, uh, but there are a lot of chain restaurants. So, let's say, uh, let's say we wanted to catch a game, so we went to our good friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay, so we're there. We're ordering nachos. Do we sure. get no meat, chicken, or beef? Well, yeah, you don't you don't get no meat because you're not a savage. Um, <laughs> so, actually, it, when it comes to that, like I guess it, uh, if we're at like a, a Mexican place or like if they have carne asada, we get carne asada. Sure. But otherwise, I'd probably get chicken at a restaurant. Like I agree. Um, but it's it's um, yeah, it's tough. Like the weird like nachos can get really messy, and I think ground beef tends to get messier. Than it's like chicken, yeah. yeah, and so that's an issue. Um, but I, I would I would lean toward chicken. But first choice of meat is always carne asada for nachos. So uh, I think that's where I'd like. I think we're in agreement. Nice. Wait, that's, is that it? That's it. That's all I got. 
Well, I don't. I know what I'm gonna. I'm gonna go get some carne asada nachos. <laughs> I am not because I'm, I'm in Kansas City. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm gonna get carne asada nachos and chicken nachos, and then I'll I'll do a taste test. Okay. So you're not well, even gonna bother with the no meat. I understand. No God, God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, have fun eating nachos this week, everybody. Enjoy the Dodgers two off days, and we will see you next week when they have a relatively full schedule.